If you will, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the sixth chapter. Uh, we're going to read a, a little larger segment of the passage again uh, than we'll actually get into today, but uh, we'll begin reading in verse 17 and read through verse 23. Again, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 17, and we'll read through verse 23 uh, this morning. One of the privileges and uh, uh, blessings and challenges of preaching, particularly uh, preaching to the, the same congregation uh, week in, week out, as pastors are called to do, uh, is when you run across texts that are familiar to all. Uh, well, uh, the Sermon on the Mount uh, should be as familiar as any text to be found uh, throughout uh, the Bible. And uh, uh, sometimes uh, we preachers uh, fall, uh, fall prey to the temptation to try so to say something uh, new or unique or kind of a, a new type of interpretation or application. And uh, usually we kind of strangle ourselves on that kind of attempt. And uh, yet at the same time, uh, we, we want to say something to you uh, that uh, both uh, challenges and, and engages your, your interest uh, while being faithful to the, to the text itself. But as I have studied uh, this week and as I've prepared sermon, and my, my sermons uh, tend to be a bit organic in, in that they grow all week and uh, uh, they really never pre reach their final form until they're preached. And, uh, and so as I was thinking this morning, putting my final thoughts together, I thought, I don't know if we're going to make it today or not. Uh, so we'll see uh, how, how, it, how it goes because God has, has blessed me uh, for once again revisiting uh, a text that I've maybe read hundreds of times in the course of my uh, Christian life. And uh, God always blesses uh, that, even the familiar, uh, to our uh, lives. And uh, so let's uh, see if we can look with the fresh lens and here with fresh ears, uh, Jesus' own words from this, uh, uh, I think we could say the greatest sermon ever preached because it was certainly preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. Again, uh, blessed are they. Verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with an unclean spirit were healed, were, were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and he healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward in, is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Pray with me this morning. Father, once again, thank you for your truth. We pray that your spirit that inspired this so long ago and saw to the, that it would be preserved for us, for us to hear here 
on this particular day. I pray that that spirit would assist me to rightly divide and communicate and your people to hear and that ultimately your spirit would apply these great truths to our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I mentioned last week, this is Luke's highly edited account of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where Matthew takes up three chapters to uh, give us more material from that sermon. Uh, Luke, according to his own purposes and according to the working of the Holy Spirit, gives us a, a very uh very edited version, a very scaled-down version of what Jesus said uh, on that day. But we're aware that Jesus uh, came down from the time in which he appointed uh, and took to himself these 12 men who would be the uh, apostles, and he is speaking to a, a large crowd. And so he begins to offer them instruction in this first section of the sermon uh, is typically identified as the Beatitudes, uh, the the blessed estate or the blessed status of uh, the believer. And so it's a word of instruction to us. It is a word of encouragement to us that though we find ourselves in circumstances that oftentimes are less than pleasant because of God's promises to us fulfilled through the accomplishment of His Son on the cross at Calvary, we are indeed ultimately blessed because we are in a state of grace before God. And so let's look a little more closely. Like I said, our, our attention today is going to be on verse 20. And Jesus is going to instruct them with the first of, again, what we call the Beatitudes. He says to them, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of of God. Now again, the idea behind the biblical concept of blessedness is rich. It goes maybe far beyond what we would think of. Uh, uh, you know, we might paraphrase this as something Jesus is saying, have a nice day, folks. Something as kind of uh, milk toast uh, as that. But he's saying something far more important that that although to these predominantly Jewish people, although your life looks almost the opposite of what the blessings of covenantal faithfulness called for under the older covenant, okay? Your life, because of me, is blessed. You may not perceive it that way, but you need to think of it that way. And so let's, let's dig down and let's talk about this biblical concept of blessedness. Now, when I was at Beeson Divinity School, believe it or not, I took two years of Hebrew. Now, what North Clay gets out of that is Bereshit, Barah, Elohim, Hashemayim. That's it, okay? Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? Uh, so that's my ability to speak Hebrew. That's what you get for two years. Uh, of uh, graduate level Hebrew. But I had the privilege of uh, in the third semester of Hebrew to do my what's called Hebrew exegesis, okay, under Dr. Kenneth Matthews. Wonderful, wonderful uh, man, uh, 
giant scholar in the Old Testament world. He had just published, when we walked in the door of that classroom, a New American Commentary series, Commentary on the Book of Genesis, chapters 1 through uh, 11. It's in there on my uh, shelf right now. He was at work on chapters 12 through 50, okay? The first one's about like that, and the second one's about like that. And I've said it for years. I think it's the overall the best two commentaries I own. And you can go in my library and you can see I've got quite a few commentaries. But it is a wonderful, wonderful work. And so I was a bit intimidated. And then he says, you're going to write a research paper on the Hebrew word Barak, which is translated blessed. And so here's a guy that's a giant on the field in the field. He's going to be grading my paper on a Hebrew word. And so, uh, again, that's a bit of a challenge if you think about it because this guy is the reigning expert. But it is such a rich, rich concept of what all of this entails. And like English today, uh, the word, the various ways we use bless, blessing, blessed, can be a greeting. It, it can be a benediction. It can be a, a word of condolence. It can be a, a word of a, evaluation. You are indeed blessed. Okay? We mean it a, a number of different ways, and for the most part, uh, fairly consistent with the biblical usage. Now, you do know what the rough translation is of bless your heart, don't you? I take it you do. Uh, if, in any, if you think about it for just a moment, any time you've said to someone, well, bless your heart, darling, you can substitute, you're an idiot. It always fits, okay? So, you know, just remember that the next time you're tempted to go, oh, bless your heart. So it, it'll work every time. All right. So in the Old Testament, we see that God blesses men. Men bless God, and men bless one another. Go back to Genesis 1. I want you to see this because what Jesus said is rooted in the entirety of the Bible. What does it mean to be blessed by God? If God says to you, if Jesus, the Son of God, says to you, you are blessed. If you have the wrong expectation of what that actually means, your life's going to be difficult. Your life is going to be difficult. If, if, if being blessed in our day and age means that all of my problems are going to be solved, what do we talk about? Most problems fall in what category? My health, my relationships, or my finances? Is that fair enough? If you, put, you, can all, you can just about put every issue that keeps us up at night in one of those three categories, okay? And if there is resolution and peace and success in all three categories, then I'm blessed, right? Wrong. In fact, there may be great turmoil in all of those areas in the life of the believer, but Jesus says to us, you're blessed. Now, beginning there in Genesis 1, verse 26, we call this kind of the, the creation ordinance. God's plan for humanity. 
a good and a wise plan. It is designed according to the design of his image bearers. So we're told that God creates his image bearers. He assigns to them dominion. He creates the male and female. And then verse 28, and God blessed them. God has a word of blessings for this first couple. And he says to them, and it is a word of blessing, and it is a sign of an assignment through which they shall be blessed. That is, be fruitful. What does that mean? Be multi- To multiply, to have children. That is a blessing of God. That's a, a good thing. Our culture is getting that so wrong that, that children are some kind of blight on humanity. There are people now that think having children is a sin against nature. There are literally people that think like that. And so again, God gave them over. They suppress the knowledge of the truth. They suppress that God's good plan is to multiply, to be fruitful, to fill the earth, and then to subdue it and have dominion. That means that a part of God's plan for blessedness is that you live in the world that he's created and that he has designed for your enjoyment, for your satisfaction, for your provision. Now, here's the rub. Unfortunately, the Bible contains Genesis chapter 3, where the world was designed to produce all of its goodness through just a what might be said to be a minimal or a joyful labor of humanity. Now it gives to us its produce through back-breaking labors. How many times have I told you it's hard to make a living? It's hard to make a living. It's hard to keep your head above water financially. I, I enjoy talking to our, to our small businessmen. Same thing I experienced. You know, you work yourself to death, and every time you turn around, somebody's got their hands out wanting the money you just earned. I mean, you're, you know, I, I spent 20 years in business, 97% of the time, if I looked in my checkbook, I had a red circle around the balance. Does anybody, is anybody old enough to know what a red circle in the balance of a checkbook means? That means there are checks and envelopes lying on my desk with stamps on them that cannot be mailed till money gets deposited in the bank. Okay? It is difficult. It's difficult. It, 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 it's difficult to produce a harvest. And then guess what happens? You know, Man, I I love peaches. I mean, and peaches love me. Y'all didn't know that, did you? I love peaches. And I'll get peaches, and, you know, they're they're maybe a little bit hard and green when you buy them, and you sit them out, and you name them. You put them on the the shelf there, and they'll this little darling and that little darling. You're so beautiful, and you talk to them. You tell them how much you love them. And I've got wonderful plans for your life. Whoa. And, uh. And, and, and then they start getting ripe, and, oh, you eat one, and that juice just runs down, and runs down your neck. and it, Oh, it, mm, my mouth is watering now. And then, you know, you have a day or two, and then you go in there, and it starts getting to be a soft spot, and they start rotting, and they start stinking. Because what? Because of Adam and Eve. My peaches get ruined because of Adam and Eve. They, they ruin creation because of their rebellion. Yes, God does bless us. 
That's why childbirth is difficult. That's why making a living is difficult. That's why it's hard to stay in harmony with husband and wife, church members, co-workers, children. It takes work to get along with each other. Now, husbands, y'all keep a straight face, okay? Don't just straight face right now, guys. Just look at me. Yeah, just look at me. Don't 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 look at each other. But it's difficult, okay? But even in the difficulty, Jesus says, because of me, you're blessed. Okay? Because of me, you're blessed. And so God blessed our first parents. God extends that blessing even after he destroys the earth. Go over to uh, Genesis chapter 9. Noah departs from the earth. Chapter 9, verse 1, what does he say to them? I'm going to extend to you this blessing that I first pronounced on your unfallen parents. Namely, blessings to you be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, I know that I had to wipe the the whole human race out because of their corruption. And I know that very same corruption is incipient within you. And I know that the offspring that you're going to produce are going to be as corrupt and even maybe more corrupt than the people I just wiped off the face of the earth. But yet, I'm going to allow you the blessing of utilizing my earth and repopulating it. Okay? And so, God repopulates the earth. And what happens? They decide to rebel against Him. Now, If you've read through your Bible, it is only rarely that we see the notion of the people of this world rebelling against God, right? That was a trick question, folks. We constantly see the issue over and over and over again. God blesses them, they can't handle the blessing, and they rebel against them. And so God reestablishes the human race, and what do they do? Well, let's build a big old tower up in the sky, and everybody talk about how great we are, that we're great engineers. We're going to hire Walter Scholl Engineering, and they're going to build the best foundation in the world. We're going to go all the way to the sky, and people are going to walk around and say, look at that, look at that bunch of engineers. Aren't they smart? And what did God do? He laughs at them. He laughs at them. Because what? Their wisdom is folly. That seems to be a biblical principle, does it not? And so God then disperses the unified people of the earth. And they go out, and what are they doing? And I believe when Paul wrote Romans 1.18, that God has revealed himself to all men, but they suppress the knowledge of God in their wickedness and their unrighteousness, that he's kind of thinking back to Babel. They knew God, they suppressed God, they go out and they get worse than they ever were. Okay? And so what you have is pagan religion springing up everyone and the knowledge of the true God is lost. But Abraham is such a nice guy and he's behaving himself. He's not doing anything bad. He's not worshiping idols, is he? Right. Abraham is just as much a pagan as anybody else. And God says, I want you, boy. Well, Not boy, he's 75 years old. But I want you, and you're going to leave everything's familiar, and you're going to come follow me. Look at chapter 12, Genesis. 
You're going to leave your country. I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, what is the problem with what God says to Abraham right there? He's an old man. His, his wife is postmenopausal. And what? I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Wow. And then what does God say uh, to Abram? I will bless you, make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. How are all families, as we stand here on August 11th, right? Yeah, August 11th, 2019, in Clay, Alabama, how are we blessed through Abraham? Because the seed of the woman and the seed of Abraham and the son of David, the son of man, the man, man born of a virgin hung on a cross for us. So God blesses us. In fact, that's what Paul says in Romans 4, that the blessings of Abraham shall come to the Gentiles, right? And so, this concept of blessing is so powerful. We see it repeated. How many of you know what the ironic blessing is? Not ironic, ironic. Double A-R-O-N. It's not Henry Aaron hitting his 715th home run or anything like that, okay? Lord, bless you and keep you, cause his face to smile upon you. That's a blessing. That's a pronouncement. I desire that the benefits of a good and holy God would fall upon you. And then God spells it out in the Old Covenant. If you go to Deuteronomy 28, if you behave this way, good stuff. Good harvest. Good finances. Good relationships. Good health. It's all going to come to you. But if you don't, I'll kill you. Or worse. And so, Jesus is speaking to these people. They understand the Old Covenant. And the first group he addresses, the poor people. And you're blessed. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You said if we would obey you, our crops wouldn't fail. We would have abundance. I'm saying to you, you're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. Remember what Habakkuk said? Even though the fig tree not blossomed, there be no fruit on the vine. I will what? I will still trust in God. And so, God blesses His people. And the New Testament picks up on this, that we are blessed in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we bless our Savior, Jesus Christ. We speak blessings to Him. We speak highly of Him. We, we bless Him when we praise Him. And He still blesses His people. We see there... Again, in the book of Romans, if you'll come forward very quickly. All this is just by way of introduction. Romans chapter 4, verse 7. Quoting the Old Testament, applying it to the New Testament believer. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom, whom, against whom the Lord will not count as sin. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm one man who is extraordinarily thankful every day 
or at least I need to be extraordinarily thankful every day. Sometimes I forget because I get into pity parties and whine parties, you know. I forget that the Lord is not going to count my sins against me. Folks, that's good news. That is good news. I am thankful that all of my lawless deeds are forgiven, that they've been atoned for, but they've been covered by the blood of Christ. So regardless of the providences of my life, guess what? I'm blessed. I am blessed. So Jesus speaks to that. Even James can speak of being blessed in our trials because of the testing of our faith. It's going to produce something in us. So even when the difficulties come in those three areas, even if it's great loss in those three areas, we are blessed. Something popped up this morning. I don't usually do much technology on Sunday morning. For some reason, I look back on something. There's a popular musical group, which I like. Uh, I mean, Christian contemporary group, uh, Shane and Shane. And they did a, a musical rendition of Even Though He Slay Me. Beautifully, beautifully done. I, I, I recommend it highly. And there's a voiceover by John Piper that is absolutely riveting in his words that again we can still rejoice we are still blessed even though he slay us we're blessed of God and so let's turn now let's go back to our text kind of laying some foundational thinking is it a is Jesus saying we should celebrate our insolvency. Now, I've dropped out of accounting after the first semester. It required homework every night. I always just wanted to waste one night a semester studying the night before test. I didn't like to do homework every night. I found that to be a bit of a waste of the college experience. And so uh, I gave up on accounting pretty quick. But, but insolvency simply is what? I ain't got enough money to meet, meet my obligations. Okay, so you sit here today and go, my mortgage is due tomorrow. You say, Brother Tim, my mortgage is $1,000. I got 37 cents in my checking account. Well, praise God, you're blessed of all people. We want to celebrate God's goodness in your time of need. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying there. Okay, I don't think it's a good thing to be broke. I don't think it's a good thing to be destitute. But again, against the background of obedience equals prosperity according to God's older covenant, then if I am poor and I'm hearing the words of Jesus, my question is what? What have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? How, how, can I, how, how am I to think about my set of circumstances? So, Jesus wants us to know, you are not forgotten. In other words, if you're a Jew in first century Palestine and you're broke, then either you're mad at God or you're mad at yourself. Either God's unfaithful or you're unfaithful. Okay? But maybe you're not unfaithful, and God's certainly never unfaithful. Right? Let's say you've lived 
obediently, then you must think, I have been left out of the covenant promises. God has forgotten me. God has forsaken me. God has abandoned me in my time of need. No, Jesus says what? You are blessed. Now, here's something you really didn't want to know, okay? But I'm going to tell you anyway. In Matthew's version of this particular sermon, he says, blessed are the poor, what? In spirit. Luke leaves it out, presumably listening to the same sermon. Now, we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible. You didn't know you did that, did you? You believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible. Right? Nod your head. It's okay. Say, yes. That's I do. Right? You do, don't you? The Word of God, the thoughts and ideas it conveys are from God. They're inspired. And the very word usage is inspired. So God inspired Luke to leave out those additional words for whatever suited his particular purpose. But I don't think that conceptually the concepts are very far divorced from each other. That the idea of being in material need is often something God uses to humble you. Now folks, I've told you this before. I was uh, 31 years old in 1989. I struck out on my own to conquer the world. Okay? Uh, Within two years, the net worth of my business was about a half million dollars. I'd gone from about $20,000, $30,000 to about half a million dollars in three years. Uh, Of course, I was planning on getting a lake house and a condo at the beach and a house in the mountains and, you know, a seven-car garage to put my eight cars in and all of that. And then guess what happened on my way to the bank? Things got tough. I mean, seriously, I was set. I had the mindset. I had the work ethic. I had the contacts. And for reasons that I will never exactly figure out, things just didn't go so swimmingly. Now, again, I made a living, but it didn't go as easy as those first two or three years. Things kind of flattened out. And all of a sudden, I realized that my way was not going to be God's way. He humbled me. He humbled me. My spirit. He made me realize I'm I'm not the brightest guy in the world. I'm not the hardest working guy in the world. I'm not the guy that's going to conquer the world. I'm the guy that's dependent on God to be able to get out of bed. I'm the guy that's dependent on God for the next breath. I'm I'm the guy that needs God's grace just to be sane on any given day. He humbled my prideful spirit. Now, I didn't go broke. I wasn't in poverty. I'm telling you, you find find out when you have need. Again, financial, relational, physical. You find out who's in charge. You find out who's not. You you get humbled 
And so Jesus says that even though you are without, you remember that you're blessed. That all these things are true. That I have not forgotten you. That I have not forsaken you. Blessed are those that recognize. And here, maybe this is kind of gets it down to a real crunk. Blessed are those that realize that they have no resources that will sustain, in and of themselves, that will sustain them in this life nor the life to come. Now think about that. Just, I didn't just say the life to come. I said for this life. I grew up kind of in the arms of some men that were quote-unquote self-made men. My father included. He often said, you know, got a third-grade education, grew up with a patched pair of overalls, which is probably literally, uh, pretty close to literally true. He did well for himself. The guys he ran with, that we, you know, my brother and I kind of were always with Daddy, and, you know, their friends, you know, were our friends, and we were just right there underneath them. They were successful. They, they, they were men that worked hard and did well. But I fear those men, including my own dad, sometimes got a little cocky. Sometimes they would see people that hadn't done, well, we just need to get up and go to work. Just needs to do this. Just needs to do that. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. And I told Daddy one time, I said, listen, God woke you up this morning. He gave you a heartbeat. He gave you a brainwave. He gave you the drive that you've got to succeed. Everything you've got comes from God. And he can take it away just like that. He can take it away in the blink of an eye. There are no self-made men. And so whatever resources that you think you innately have to make it in this life is a gift of God. And certainly, surely to goodness we know that I have nothing in which to stand before God naked in my own goodness. What I need is the righteous robe of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I need is a Savior. And it's simply a reminder of that. And so Jesus says, although things may be against you, and even in a practical way sometimes, there is a blessedness in need. Reminds me of my dependence. Maybe it might. Now, now Paul in 1 Timothy uh, 6.5 says, Those that are rich fall into many harmful snares and traps. Again, I, you know, just spent time last week with a guy that spent time in jail at Maxwell Air Force Base because... He was a part of a great conspiracy at Health South. Cost him every nickel he made. He fell into a great temptation and snare along with quite a few other men. They thought they were smarter than everybody else. In fact, this guy's son told me, not wasn't Scrooge, but uh, the other big dog in the thing, told me, said I, he would see him at, at Auburn. And he would say, you can still, still th- tell this guy thinks. He's the smartest guy in the room, and he can pull one over on somebody. He didn't even learn his lesson then. 
But they will. They, they fall into many harmful things because of their grasping for wealth, thinking again that it will satisfy and it will not satisfy. But never think for a minute that poor people are exempt from the sin of coveting and greed. Poor people many times look at those who have worked hard and earned and provided a nice livelihood for themselves. They look and say, I should have that. No, you've got what God wanted you to have. Doesn't mean you can't work harder and do better. But just as going into a dark room does not free a man from lust, he can't see images that provoke him to lust, he's still got a lustful heart. Even though someone doesn't possess anything, they can still be guilty of the, the sin of greed and coveting. Okay? So it's not absolute. Jesus is simply saying there is a benefit to not becoming entangled with all the complications. Because here's what happens to those who begin to accumulate wealth. You know what it is? They want to figure out how to get more wealth. Right? Nod your head. And to make sure nobody takes the wealth that they've accumulated, right? Okay? And then the third thing, how do I take care of all the things that my wealth has provided for me. And then you look out, and that shiny new car is five years old and got dented fenders, and, you know, in my case, the, the windshield motors quit working. It all falls away. You have nothing. So, again, wealth in its absolute sense, nor poverty in its absolute sense, is an answer. I've told you many times, if, if anything could be said of me as a believer, I have been a struggling believer for the entirety of my Christian life. I don't, and, and, and please hear me out. For the most part, my struggles have never been doctrinal or theological. It's not that I'm brilliant. I'm willing to accept there's things I don't understand, okay? okay this is true. I don't understand fully, but it's true. Boom, I'm done with it, okay? Um, my struggles have been in the area of obedience. Oh, I've all, I've, listen, I've wanted to live like the world. I wanted to go to the world's parties. Again, I spent two, a night in... Florence and was reminded of some of those parties. Some of the bad behavior. Some of the goofiness. Some of the silliness. It wasn't that I doubted the truthfulness of Scripture, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, His atoning death, His resurrection, His soon return. It's just I wanted to go to parties and act a fool. But I've struggled. I struggle. Well, how much is enough? It's always been a question. Ever since I started reading the Bible with the witness of the Spirit in my heart and my mind as a 15-year-old, I look at these things. I look at the rich young ruler, and Jesus says, Go sell all that you have. If you're not struggling with how to live with your possessions, you're not thinking biblically. 
If you're not asking yourself the question, how much is too much? How much should I share with others? It's a question Christians should rightly struggle over. I've told you before, I can't tell you what kind of car to drive, how big a house to live in, how many houses you should have, or how many cars you should have. But you ought to think seriously about the day you'll give an account for every nickel that's passed through your checking account. Just as you'll give an account for every heartbeat and every brainwave that you've ever had. There will be a day. And so Jesus says, blessed are those, even though you think you have been left out of the blessedness of God, you have not. In fact, and I think this is really, again, it gets at the core it is those who are humble and realize they lack resources. What is the sole criteria for becoming a Christian? Realizing you need a Savior. That I am bankrupt spiritually. That I have nothing to offer God. That, that all I can do is fall upon His mercy. That's why you can say, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. They're the ones that shall see Jesus one day. That is absolute. If you think that you have exchanged anything that, quote-unquote, belongs to you for your salvation, you are lost. You're lost. If that's what you think, you're lost. It is only those who are spiritually bankrupt. Those are the only ones that God saves through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Many times God uses the providence of poor checking accounts, poor finances to demonstrate to us how desperate we really, really are. Final word, very, very quickly, we'll get into more of this, but what does it mean in practical terms to be blessed? We've talked a lot over the years, one of the most fundamental hermeneutical mistakes. There's your big word for the day. Fundamental hermeneutical mistakes that I find prevalent in the church today is confusing the Old and New Covenant. God does not promise that your goats won't die under the New Covenant. Okay? He doesn't even promise that your children won't die under the New Covenant. But God does promise to forgive your sins. He does promise to work in you through the Spirit. He does promise to illuminate your mind, to give you understanding of the Scripture, and give you perspective over life in a fallen world. He does give you fruit that includes a sense of peace, a sense of contentment. He does give you the answers, the great existential questions of life. Where did I come from? Who am I? What am I doing here? Where am I going when I die? You know my mind, it works in crazy ways. As I thought about those questions, where am I going when I die? And I thought about an old rock song. This guy, uh, going to the spirit in the sky. Now, I'm sure he was smoking pot or whatever they did in the day. And, you know, da-da-da-da-da. People think about that. People think about that. We're the only ones with the answer. You think that's not blessedness? Which is more blessed? Dust in the wind? And all your money can not another minute buy? Or, one day, my Savior shall return. 
He will return as the conquering, the victorious king on a white horse, and the trumpet shall blow, and the voice of the archangel shall speak, and what? The dead in Christ will rise. That's hope. That's what it means to be blessed, even though you may not think of yourselves as such in the way of, in our circumstances in this life. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for your truth that is your word to us. Lord, uh, at the end of the day, I find myself incredibly inadequate uh, to, to explain this text. But God, we depend upon your spirit. We depend upon your spirit in all things. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work. You would bless this, your people, uh, that they would hear your truth and you would apply it to our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.